0: C'est, c'est bon.
1: Welcome to Paris Good Food and
0: Wine, I'm your host, Paige Donner. For the next half hour, I'll be presenting to you news, happenings, and personalities from Paris's extraordinary culinary world. So sit back and get ready to enjoy a full half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine.
2: Like those French people do. Because it's all
0: so good Welcome to another episode of Good Food and Wine. Today, I'll be bringing you an interview with Paris's famed Palace Hotel Le Bristol's head sommelier, French-Canadian Marco Pelletier, who gives us some advice on what to pair with the French terroir delicacy, La Bonotte. It's the world's most expensive potato, and it's grown only on the Ile de Noirmoutier in France. Next, Richard Nahum, founder of a well known blog about life in Paris, I, spelled EYE, prefer Paris, shares with us some of his Parisian expat insight and also tells us more about his new evening cooking courses. Next up, Veteran of Paris's food scene, the lovely English Margaret Kemp, speaks to us about some of the city's fascinating food trends, including a food truck started by a three-star Michelin chef, Marc Vérat, called Me Bocco. And for all of us excited about the fresh vegetables and bountiful seasonal produce of spring, Emily Dilling brings us with her to one of Paris's best-loved fresh markets, the Marché d'Aligraie. is in season. La Bonneute. What to pair with these diamonds of the potato world? That's the question I took to Marco Pelletier, the head sommelier at Paris's famed Le Bristol Hotel, where he regularly advises wine pairings for diners at Epicure, their on-premise three Michelin-starred restaurant headed up by chef Eric Fréchon. La Bonneute, for those of you not familiar with it, is a little yellow gem that grows on the small sheltered isle of Noirmoutier in France's northwest region. And while myself and other culinary enthusiasts can easily mistake this little tuber for the royal star of Paris diamond, it is in fact entirely edible. Yes, this little tuber is a potato. What's the magic of La Bonnotte and what makes it so expensive? Firstly, the Bonnotte is not just an early potato, it's a garden potato. It demands as much attention from the grower as does a flower from a gardener. Two of its other hothouse qualities are that it must be hand harvested and that it grows in a very particular soil richly fertilized with rack, cultivated on just five acres on the Ile de Noirmoutier. It's planted every year on February 2nd, and precisely 90 days later, it's in peak condition and ready for harvesting. The farmers of the Isle of Noirmoutier harvest 11,000 tons of potatoes a year from an overall agricultural area of 380 hectares. But only a very small fraction of these are labanottes. Other popular varieties are the Sertema, the Lady Cristel, Charlotte, and Jazzy varieties of potatoes. But it's La Bonnotte, harvested only between May 1st and May 10th, that's the best-known product of these farmers here on ile de Noirmoutier, along with the island's famed sea salt. Well, here's Marco Pelletier to give us some perfect wine pairings for these precious potatoes. Now, can we veer the conversation off a little bit towards uh, towards the new potatoes, the early potatoes, which are just coming in season now at the beginning of of May, and again, uh, some of the, the the most expensive or the most and the most sought after are from the Ile de Noir moutier uh, again, just a bit off the coast of well actually, I guess off the coast of Pays de Loire t- technically, but in the vicinity of Brittany. Do you, do you have any pairing suggestions with these? I know that they are a very simple product and they're, um, the preparation is usually also quite simple. But tell us what your thoughts are on this.
3: Yeah, but the specificity of uh, what you just said, La Benotte, which is an amazing uh, product, which is, as you're saying, it's really rare because usually it lasts for for two weeks. And uh, on the five more than 500 hectares uh, that is reserved for the potatoes production on the Lille de Loire-Moutier, there's only practically... Five hectares, it's used only for uh, doing La Bonnette. So it's, it's making a p- product which is very rare. And we already heard that there's uh, uh, some of the, these kilos of, of uh, La Bonnette which were sold in auction for more back then than, than 15,000 francs, which is more than five of almost 500 euros a kilo. And the specificity, so we're not here to talk about price, but the, the, what is interesting is the specificity of these potatoes that come usually from Lille de noir because as you know, potatoes, it's a very rustic uh, product no acidity practically no sweetness in, in some case so we need to sublime uh, these products and what makes some uh, the uh, labanate a little bit exclusive it's the delicatess and the finesse of course which uh, relied on us to not cook too much uh, these potatoes but mostly also the iodine flavors that the potatoes have that which can lead us to a uh, certain wine pairing if if we go historically usually the dibenot uh, is cooked either with shellfish or lobsters or that, that times that types of, uh, of food just to have the simplicity of the approach but have to be able also to feel the consistency the the texture of uh, labenot so if we need to to find a uh, good pairing we need to stay always on a wine which is quite on the edge not too much ri- richness, sorry. I think the best thing is to stay in to stay in the region we often think that the uh, the great Muscadet wine, it's only reserved to a barquette of oysters or something like that, but I think if we go on Cuvee uh, Excelsior from Luno Papin, or these amazing producer that makes more than 36 months of aging on the leaves that brings wine with a certain character, a certain debt, a certain richness, which always conserving that IOD in that specificity of the Muscadet have, I think we can have a really great local match in that case.
0: Oh, that's a fabulous suggestion that's it th- and i love too how you're using the the word iodé, iodé which is kind of french and i i think we use it do we do sometimes use it in english but it's that that see it evokes like sea spray and salty air yeah,
3: exactly not because we have to that's why i love to see iodé or uh, iodine flavors because salty or it it it, it, it frights the, the the people it's not in the same approach so people are afraid of having something too much salty because today the vogue it's to low down the salt and iodine flavors it doesn't mean that it's salty it have as you just said the spirits of the sea the air of the sea but without the extreme uh, uh aggressivity that sometimes the, the, the salt, the over-salt can have.
2: Yes,
0: yes. Well, Marco, I want to thank you so much, and I knew that you were the exact right person to, to come to to ask for these pairing suggestions, given the the refinedness of this Palace Hotel, and of course, your, your three-star Michelin and one-star Michelin uh, restaurants here on the premises. Thank you, Marco. Thank you very much. If you'd like to search for that bottle of wine that Marco Pelletier suggested, once again, it's Muscadet, Sev and Min, Cuvée Excelsior, and the domain is Luno pepin That's L-U-N-E-A-U, Next up is my in-studio interview with Richard Nahum of I Prefer Paris. Richard Nahum, I want to thank you, first of all, for showing up today at our, our little studio here at the American <laughs> University in Paris. It's a tape for uh, Paris Good Food and Wine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually fabulous uh, to have you on the show because your blog is one of the anchors of the expat blogs here in Paris. I prefer Paris, and I've been a fan of it for years. So g- give us a little bit of a backstory as to how you started that that blog and and, and what you know what what you share with your readers on it
4: oh thanks so much and thanks for having me here today I'm, I'm really actually very excited I've never done radio before so anyway uh, I'm originally from New York born and raised New Yorker and I moved to Paris in 2005 I was a chef and a caterer in New York for 21 years before I moved here and when I moved to Paris I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next I didn't want to do chefing or catering anymore And I said, now what am I going to do with my life? And so, uh, and I was taking a year off trying to decide what I want to do here in Paris. And when you tell your friends and family back in New York, you're taking a year off living in Paris, guess what? They want to know, plug you for information, or they want you to show them Paris. So everybody kept on asking, where do I go? What do I see? What restaurants do I go to? What you know? What cultural events do I go to? And I kept on emailing them. And finally, after a while, I said, this is getting monotonous. Why don't I start a blog and just tell information about things to do here in Paris and whatever, and put it for an American audience, maybe for tours and things like that. And that's how I started my blog. Uh, so I started that in 2006. And now I'm going on my eighth year, which I can't believe. And then I also lead tours of Paris, and how those came about was the same thing. My friends and my family were coming to Paris, and they said, oh, we want to stay with you, or can you show us around, or could you, whatever, uh, to cu- show us your neighborhood, yeah.
0: Are they culinary tours, or? Uh,
4: some, some. I do uh, walking tours of Paris, and I also have a cooking partner. Her name is Charlotte Puckett, and she's a Cordon Bleu, Cordon Bleu trained chef, and we do these half-day cooking classes here in Paris where we go to wonderful food market, and then after we do a five-course uh, meal.
0: You know, actually, I wanted to ask you about those cooking classes because mm-hmm. uh, I've seen them um, showcased on your on your blog before, but it seems like you, you've just kind of revamped them and you've got like a whole new offering f- for readers, and, and I think it's one of the most Adventurous and entertaining things that a visitor can do when they're here in Paris is to participate in in a cooking class.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's the quintessential French thing to do because the markets are so wonderful here and you get to cook authentic French food. And you even get to go into a Parisian home where my uh, partner has her her kitchen. And we're going to start doing evening classes. That's our newest thing with our cooking classes. Uh, We've never done them before. And now we decided to do classes, dinner classes at night. So uh, f- uh, starting with a visit to a wonderful cheese shop to pick out the cheeses and also a visit to a wine shop and pick out the wine.
0: Oh, that sounds... So it's a full yeah. course meal with wine and cheese. With wine and, and cheese,
4: yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and uh, maybe even some- considering having a, a champagne, uh, a glass of champagne when, when we start. So
0: well, that's reason. always a good idea. Yes. So um, are th- are, is this oriented towards groups? Or if, say, a couple is here visiting, can they sign up and sort of join in with the group? Or do you? Uh,
4: well, the cooking classes, it's a minimum of two people. And then we do a maximum of six people. So as long as we get two people to do the class, then we'll form a class. And then it's uh, sometimes a mixed group, which is which is really fun sometimes, because people get to know each other. I, I once had uh, two couples and uh, and and a single woman, and it turns out the single woman uh, knew one of the couple's brothers and dated him like 35 years ago in college. So these kind of crazy stories happen sometimes, and they were just yeah. randomly all just randomly, yeah. And they were from opposite visiting. sides of the country, which I thought was really funny too. Oh, that's
0: incredible. Yes. That's an incredible story. Mm-hmm. As as a chef, uh, as a, well, I mean. Uh, you're never really a former chef right I mean it's you're, this is true although yeah. I don't
4: really cook that much anymore but uh, but you're, it's always there
0: do you design the menu and have that in mind when you go to the market or do you sort of just organically let the market dictate and maybe have the group give you um, suggestions as to what they do and don't like for for dinner or um,
4: it's sort of a, sort of a mix like uh, I send a questionnaire out to the clients asking them if they're allergic to anything or is there something absolutely they don't eat so what those guidelines and uh and then we also try and do seasonal things so like in the fall it's mushroom season so we take four or five kinds of uh, wild mushrooms and we do a, mild, a wild mushroom souffle uh or we do things with apples in the fall or in the spring we do things with white asparagus because those are in season like in april
0: what do you do in, in the, the winter time? <laughs> uh,
4: in terms of like what? Oh, what a kinds of foods? Yeah, what's oh, good you in the do hearty time? things like uh, we do stews and we do things with duck. Uh, we once did a cassoulet, which is a great winter comfort food things like that
0: sounds delicious and your your partner is also she's a she's a cordon bleu trained
4: yes she's a cordon bleu trained chef her name is uh, like i said charlotte Puckett, and she's uh, originally from new orleans so we're both expats living here and uh she also wrote a wonderful cookbook called the ethnic paris cookbook and she wrote that about five or six years ago and it's basically all the Uh, French colonies, um, like Vietnam, uh, Morocco, foods from those places, uh, and all all in that book. And we incorporate sometimes the recipes in the uh, classes.
0: Wonderful. Now, do you have um, a favorite Cartier that you sort of, you know, just on your, even when you're not sharing Paris with your friends and family... Do you have a favorite Cartier that you hang out at?
4: Um, you know, I lead most of my tours in the Marais, so I'm pretty much always in the Marais, and uh, everything is kind of there, uh, but I do like to go to other neighborhoods sometimes when invited out. Uh, I really like the Ninth Arrondissement. Uh, above the department stores and below uh, Montmartre, This is uh, a really wonderful area, and it's a big up-and-coming, not even up-and-coming, it's a very established place for a lot of new restaurants and new chefs in Paris. It's the 9th arrondissement and also the 10th Arrendissimo and there's some very exciting things happening in food in those uh, places. So.
0: Great. Well, I'm sure we can read more about that on your blog. Mm-hmm. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Richard.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: And where, again, can we find your, your blog?
4: Uh, It's www.eyepreferparis.com. Great. And your beautiful photos, too. Thank you so much.
0: Next, we'll be hearing from Margaret Kemp and her take on current Paris food trends. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. And Margaret, you have been writing about gastronomy here in Paris for well on two decades. So you are one of the best people to ask about what are some of the current trends that you've noticed in the Parisian culinary world here?
2: Well, the dining scene has changed an awful lot in the two decades. When I first came here, everybody ate in brasseries uh, such as La Coupole and uh, Les Deux Magots. And um, the, the the big trend at the moment is of course food trucks, and uh, there's a there's a lady called Christine Davis who has a, a food truck called Le Chien Qui Fume, and the line outside her truck is is really really long, and people are just going for the hamburgers, and that was something that would never have been thought of um, twenty years ago. So um, and then there's what 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 other food trucks come to mind? Are there? Um- well, there are posh food trucks. There's a three star Mich- uh, Michelin three star chef, uh, uh, Marc Vera, and he has a, a, sh- a food truck called meboko which means my little glass jars. And he will deliver in the eighth or the sixteenth, which are the poshest arrondissement, and he will deliver your um, your lunch which will cost you about 13 euros. And um, he says that it's great because people, the grand public can have um, a three-star lunch for 13 euros. And you see his truck going up and down Avenue Foch, um, uh, along the Champs-Élysées. You can stop it, but you can also find um, an email for him and you can email your order.
0: And you, you can just kind of do a Google online too? Yes,
2: yes, yes. Yes,
0: and wh- where does he also? He, he obviously has a restaurant too. Where? Where's his restaurant? Well, his
2: restaurant is in the Alps, and the, unfortunately, it just burnt down. So, um, I think he'll be concentrating on his food truck at the moment. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a fascinating food trend. And then, in, in addition to the food trucks, what are some other th- just recent? Uh,
2: Trends. When I first came to Paris, there was no such thing as a, a menu amposé, which is a, a set menu. Um, young chefs who have limited budgets find it much easier if they can serve the same meal to everybody. They have small restaurants, and um, it's it, it's much much more practical because um, people book at the la- now people book at the last minute. You used to book like two weeks ahead. And um, that was fine. They don't do the system like they do in America with taking your credit card numbers. So if people don't turn up, then the chef loses the, the sale, entre guillemets. So um, one a, menu, um, a set menu is, is really something that, that is interesting. But people complain because everybody's got allergies. So they arrive at the restaurant and they go, "Oh, I can't eat that. I can't eat that." So that that seems to be a trend that's happened, but finishing now. Is there is there
0: anything else um, in addition to the to the food trucks and the and the set menu? The, the set. So you're referring to a set menu that's for the whole restaurant, like that's yes. the plate that's available. Yes. Wow. Yes.
2: But now they're, they're getting a little more, little wiser, and um, they're saying, "Well, if you advise a th- advise us of your allergies before coming then we'll see what we can do but uh, then it gets a bit complicated
0: and there's been a lot of press recently in the in the international media about um, or, or well actually more the domestic media about French people eating out less now, uh, just because of economic reasons, or I think that's usually the, the the culprit, the the economy. Is that something that you've noticed yourself? And do you think Parisian restaurants are maybe suffering for that, or is it? Are, do we have so many visitors that it really just doesn't even make a dent in it?
2: I think the economy is suffering, um, but I don't think French French people eat out. At lunchtime, everybody—you cannot get a space in a restaurant at lunchtime. They're, the restaurants are packed, and of course, the minute the sun comes out, they're all outside, and and of course, they're smoking outside. In fact, walking walking along the street, you can get cancer just with the the uh, the, the cigarette smoke, which is rather annoying as a non-smoker. So they're eating out at lunch.
0: It's—I I, I don't know then what the popular. Uh, lo- domestic press is talking about about french people eating out less well
2: i think the the problem is that prices are sky high now you need to look for a set menu because if you go and eat in a, in a restaurant where you eat a la carte um the other day of a, 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 a friend told me she three of them uh, went to a restaurant and uh, the the uh, the bill at the end was a 100 euros and she said really we thought we'd eaten nothing And the the big problem is that now products, good products, are expensive. You go to the fishmonger and buy your own fish, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So there's not, really, in the end, there's not much difference between eating out and eating at home if you're buying the best products.
0: Margaret, I I know your byline, Margaret Kemp, but if somebody would like to follow you, uh, again, what are some of the fantastic magazines that you've written for.
2: Well, first my first shushu uh, is uh, bonjourparis.com, for which I write a weekly column called The Buzz, and if they if they click on restaurants and bars, then they'll find all my secret addresses. And I write for the Financial Times How to Spend It magazine, and um, recently I I wrote about um, Pierre Hermé and his how he would spend his perfect weekend.
0: Margaret, thank you so much for your time and for dropping
2: by the studios today. Pleasure. My pleasure.
0: You can find Kristen Frederick's food truck, Le Camion Kifum, frequently parked at local Paris Fresh Markets, and her all-new Chinese restaurant, Huabu, is in the ninth arrondissement. Emily is up next with her Paris Good Food and Wine Market Report.
1: I'm Emily Dilling for Paris Good Food and Wine, and this is the Paris Market Report. Paris's Marché des Ligues is a popular market for tourists and locals alike. It's no surprise that the city's explorers and shoppers flock to the 12th arrondissement to visit this market, which takes place every morning and late afternoon, from Tuesday to Sunday. (inaudible) Mornings at this Bastille-area market see the streets filled with an animated outdoor market, Here you'll find produce vendors, stands overflowing with flowers, and other fresh items. While there are no farmers at this market, you can find organic produce and, if you look closely, some locally grown fruits and vegetables. The outdoor market also includes a flea market with antiques and other second-hand treasures. In a covered market building that dates from 1779, you'll find more specialized vendors, selling artisanal items, fresh fish, dairy, and baked goods. Favorites include the selection of cheese and pasta at the Italian stand, as well as the lovingly baked goods and tarts at Jojo & Co. On a lively Thursday morning, as a band of busking musicians entertained a growing crowd, I visited some of my favorite Marché d'Aligue addresses, which aren't included in the outdoor or indoor market spaces, but rather make up the perimeter of the Marché. The small shops and boutiques that frame Marché de la Ligue are just as interesting as the market itself, and equally instrumental in lending this neighborhood the charm and foodie credibility that keeps customers coming back for more. La Grande Thierry du Marché is probably one of the most endearing shops you'll find in Paris. The postage stamp-sized store is run by a friendly Frenchman who invites you to browse everything from antique cookware and canning jars to a large selection of dried goods such as fava beans, dried apricots, rice, and pasta. Along with iconic regional French products such as sal de Guarande and Calisson from the Aix-en-Provence region, the shop also sells fresh potted herbs and cheery flowers to brighten up your home. After visiting La Grinterie, I usually head to Ma Petite Tepicerie, a Portuguese shop that sells wonderful bulk olive oil, as well as the famous Portuguese pastry, the pastiche de nata. Then I head to L'Alpage, a fantastic fromagerie that has cheese from all over the country, from sheep cheese from the Pyrenees to Emmental from the Alps. Sometimes I'll stop for something sweet at Les de Ligue, which has a selection of chocolates made from some of France's most well-known chocolatiers. A popular spot to wrap up your day at the Marché is Le Baron Bouge, a cozy wine bar where market-goers wind down with a glass of red wine and a plate of cheese and charcuterie. When in season, oysters are a favorite at this neighborhood bar. If you're looking for a calmer setting, wander away from the crowds and head to Le Siffleur des Ballons, which offers a delicious and affordable lunch menu, including soup and a sandwich, that go great with any of their glasses of natural wines. Le Cifler is also a cave à which means you can buy any of the bottles to take home with you and enjoy with your next market-sourced meal. For Paris residents and those just visiting the city, the Marche des is the perfect place to explore French flavors and be inspired to make seasonal recipes. For Paris Good Food and Wine, I'm Emily Dilling, and this has been the Paris Market Report.
0: Thanks for listening to Good Food and Wine, and many thanks to the team our in-studio technicians and technical advisors, David Blanc and Jean-Pierre La Rochelle, and our WRP studio intern, Janica. Thanks also to our Market Report contributor, Emily Dilling. I'm your host, Paige Donner. Stay tuned for our next episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Paris Good Food and Wine is brought to you in part by the generous support of FUSAC, paris's english language website and community resource since 1988 visit www.fusac.fr this show is also brought to you in part by the generous support of paris food and wine you can find paris food and wine at parisfoodandwine.net thanks for joining us for this half hour of paris good food and wine Myself, Paige Donner, and the rest of the team look forward to seeing you again here for the next episode of Paris. Good food and wine. And it
2: is bird,
1: because it's oh so good.
3: Ah,